<sighs> so anybody had one of those days recently? <laughs> Sometimes those days just keep coming. I don't know if that ever happens to you guys. But it does to me. If you got your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up 2 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to talk about one of those days. And prayerfully, what we're going to choose to do as uh, men and women who love the Lord Jesus Christ is, I think something that's kind of important for us to grasp, and that is to decide, to make the choice to live by His promises And not by our circumstances. We face that choice every day. Every one of us. We we face that opportunity to decide. And, And there are, I believe, three incredibly important disciplines in the Christian life that are so important to be a part of our normal, everyday existence and experience that we neglect. Um, one of those things is the, to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. To have the power of God working in our life, equipping us, giving us the things we need, the strength we need to be who God wants us to be. To experience that which God has for us. We need that strength that comes from Him. The others kind of go together at times. Obviously, none of these are, uh, well, at least the next one's not mandatory all the time. But the second discipline in the Christian walk that we have uh, relegated to some dark corner that we'll never walk into, that discipline is fasting. It's interesting as we do a study in Scripture, and especially the Old Testament, we see a lot of fasting going on in the Old Testament. And the Lord leading, uh, or, or the people choosing to go on a fast, usually seeking repentance or a special move of God for a particular situation. And then, then we come to the life of Christ, and, and Jesus was asked, how come you and your disciples don't fast? And, and Jesus said, well, we don't fast. they don't fast because I'm here. What do they need to fast for? But He did say, They will come when I will go, and then my people will fast. And I I find it interesting when we look at the the story. Remember, Jesus went on the Mount of Transfiguration. He took his three problem disciples, right? Uh, James, John, and what's the other guy's name? Peter, yeah. He took James, John, and Peter. He took them up on top of the mountain. He, He showed his glory the, for, a, for a moment, the mask of flesh parted and, and the glory of God shone through in the life of Christ. And, and uh, on their way down the mountain, as they came down the mountain after that pretty incredible mountaintop experience, they meet a father who has a child whose uh, child is epileptic. And the, the child falls in the fire and hurts himself and... And so he said that the, the demon, apparently what was going on with that child, is, the Bible's not saying epilepsy is demon possession, but the Bible says that the reason the epilepsy was there was because of a demon. And so the, the, 
the, the man said, your disciples couldn't cast the demon out. They couldn't, couldn't heal my son. And Jesus said, oh, faithless generation. How long will I be with you? How long do I got to deal with you knuckleheads? And he walked over and he laid hands on that child and he cast out the demon and the child was healed. And then Jesus, after that, after he cast out that demon, after everybody left, the disciples come up to him afterwards. You guys can read the story. And they say, how come we couldn't do it? And Jesus said, because of unbelief. And then he puts this phrase in there that I think we misappropriate. And he said, this kind only comes out with prayer and fasting. And most of the time when we read that, we think he's talking about the demon. But I agree with Stovall Weems. I think he's talking about our unbelief. And if we struggle with that, and if we're having a hard time saying, you know, I, I don't feel like I can trust God, and I don't feel like I can, I can go before Him, I don't want to lift my prayers to Him, I don't think He's going to answer my prayers, I don't think He's going to do the things that He says He's going to do, then maybe what we need is not another pep talk about how God is able. Maybe what's, what's missing out of our walk is just taking the time to, to walk in the discipline of a fast. And in my experience, I am sorry to say that I don't think one or two days is going to help you. I think it takes a couple of days just to kind of clear out the gunk that's in you. Making the opportunity to deny your flesh. There's just something interesting that happens. When we choose to deny our flesh, you wouldn't believe what part of us strengthens. We deny our flesh and, and suddenly that spiritual strength, I don't know, it seems to be there. And our prayers become more fervent. Our passion grows. Our, our ability to hear what the Lord is speaking to us. I promise you, God is going to point out an issue in your life. You choose to fast. You may not want to do it because He'll tell you something that you need to burn. Usually some high place, some issue. Uh, for me, He told me I'm selfish. And every time I turn around, I, I am, can see my selfishness like, you know dirt on my face in the mirror it's not hard to, to see since that period of time and so that second discipline the, the desire to fast now, obviously we don't fast forever right because then you die so I'm just suggesting that that's something that we could walk in being filled with the Holy Spirit choosing now and again to fast and the third discipline is prayer. Well, the 
emptiest place in the church, unfortunately, is the prayer meeting. And if we're honest, it's because we don't believe God's going to do it anyway. So why am I praying? So we have the thief of unbelief residing in our heart. And we don't think God's going to do anything. He's going to do what we want. Probably, we may be right. Because to be honest, most of our prayers are relatively selfish. It's about how to make our life better, our life easier, or, or something that we want. Those three things. In order for a revival like we'd like to experience to occur, I think we need those three things. I think when the body of Christ, not the church, the body of Christ, make the choice to say, I don't think the book of Acts is on accident. And I don't think the church praying all night long was some aberration that's only supposed to happen in extreme emergencies. And Sunday when we study Acts chapter 13, I'm going to talk about fasting twice in three verses. Gosh. It was funny because I was recently at a pastor's conference and they went through Acts chapter 13 and, and they taught on it. And fasting is there and wasn't even a part of the subject of that chapter. I don't know how you don't deal with it at all. I think it's kind of where we're at. Sometimes the thief of unbelief brings us to a place where we want to try to solve all our problems ourselves. We want to solve our problems with a confrontation. We want to solve our problems with, you know, I don't know, what, whatever we think is going to solve it. Throw money at it. Throw pills at it. Throw something at it. And we think that's going to solve it. But if you guys were with us last week and we were in 2 Kings chapter 18... We saw Hezekiah try to solve the, his own problem, right? You guys remember? The world power of the day, the Assyrian nation, was coming against Israel and he tried to buy them off. Now in those days, 1.5 million was a pretty good chunk of change. You know what I'm saying? That's quite a while ago. That's the equivalent of what he gave Shennacherib to leave him alone. And Shennacherib took the money and kept coming. He wasn't going to be satisfied with 1.5 million. He wanted everything. And they really didn't have all that much more. Hezekiah took the gold out of the temple. He took the silver out of the temple. He took it out of his palace. He stripped the doors. He stripped the columns. He took gold out of everywhere he could find it to try to buy them off. You see, the thief of unbelief was with Hezekiah. And occasionally, God will bring us to a place. Maybe you guys have heard it uh, called the bottom. Have you ever heard of the bottom? People talk about that as though it's some kind of measurable place. You know, you just haven't hit bottom yet. I don't, I hope I don't never hit bottom. I don't want to hit bottom. I don't want to wait to hit bottom. <laughs> I just want to go in a different direction. The thief of unbelief is taking Hezekiah, and Hezekiah is trying to solve his problems himself. 
Hezekiah, who brought a great revival, the people all turned to the Lord, people's lives are changing, the, the, their behavior is changing, they're not worshiping on the high places anymore, they're not worshiping false gods, a lot of great things are happening. Do you know that even in the midst of all that stuff going on, the thief of unbelief can get into your heart? Well, I don't know, ask yourself right now. Whatever your big issue is in your life right now, be honest and ask yourself, if I pray about it, will, will God take care of it? Or am I going to have to grab the bull by the horns, pull myself up by my bootstraps, and make it work? Well, that's what Hezekiah had done. If you look in 2 Kings chapter 19, last time we, we read the first two verses of chapter 19, which basically tells us, when Hezekiah heard that Shennacherib is coming anyway, that he tore his clothes, he found himself in a position of humility and mourning. He found himself in a place where he didn't have anywhere else to go for help. So he sent word to a guy. You guys know his name. It's Isaiah. You've heard that name before, right? Isaiah the prophet? He sends word to Isaiah. It says in verse 3 of chapter 19, And they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy. For the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. And it may be that the Lord, oh, your God, will hear all the words of the Rabshakeh. Whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God. And will rebuke the words which the Lord, your God, has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of Hezekiah came to Isaiah. You hear what they're saying? They're, they're, they're coming to Isaiah and, and they're saying to him, uh, but I don't know if I can pray anymore. I've been doing all this stuff and I've been serving the Lord, but Shennacherib's coming anyway. Life got hard. I was doing what God wanted me to do and living how God wanted me to live, and now there's a guy right outside my city who's going to kill us all. So maybe the Lord, your God, will help. Hezekiah. The guy who leads the country on this incredible, and this incredible revival is losing heart. What did Jesus say about losing heart? Do you remember what Jesus told us the key to losing heart was? He told a parable. He told a parable. In that parable, he told a parable for one purpose. That men ought always to pray and never lose heart. What's the key to not losing heart? Prayerfulness. An attitude of prayerfulness. Uh, what happens if you pray and God doesn't just send the bolt immediately? The lightning doesn't strike the ground? We live in a world of instant gratification, right? Everything's got to be instant. That's why over 50% of the relationships in the church today are between a man and a woman who are not married. Well, of course. Because why should I wait? Why should I wait to get married? How many children in, 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 in the world born a mom and dad don't live together? Well, they used to, but they don't live together anymore. 
How many places do we see that's the result of what? I didn't get what I wanted. Or they didn't get what they wanted, one or the other, right? The breakups and the tear-ups and the flare-ups and all that stuff. So we see the, the, the effects of those things taking place because people have chosen, uh, I want what I want and I want it now. And if you can't make me happy now, I'm not going to wait a year. And I'm certainly not going to ten, wait 10. And I definitely am not going to wait 25. Right? Anybody here want to wait 25 years to be gratified by a, a man or a woman that you're living with? Anybody here want to have to wait 25 years to see the fulfillment of God moving and working in your life? If we're honest, I want it now. Just one little problem. In the scripture, the picture of faith is Father Abraham. You guys remember the song, Father Abraham, right? You guys? Father Abraham. Yeah, the song says Father Abraham had many sons, but the reality is how many did he have when God talked to him? Well, he didn't have any yet. 75 years old, no children. God said, I will give you a son. How long till he had the son? 25 years. That's God's picture of him moving in someone's life. But if I don't get it now, Hezekiah tried for now, he didn't get now. So he calls out to Isaiah, Isaiah, pray to your God, because I don't have the faith I need in God anymore. Folks, we have a, a illness in the church, and it is called unbelief. And Jesus said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. The problem is, folks, if we are struggling with instant gratification and we'd like what we'd like and we'd like it now, the concept of a fast really irritates us. Fast. Are you kidding me? Look, if you choose to, to seek the Lord in that way, don't get hung up on that part. Just cut something out and make space for God. Don't sweat it. Cut something out and make space for God. Watch God move. Well, he calls out to Isaiah. Let's see what happens. So Isaiah said to them, Thus you will say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which your servants, with which the servants of the king of Assyria, have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he will hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So this is the word that Isaiah brings back to the king. Isaiah tells King Hezekiah, God says he's got this. But you know, every day Hezekiah looks out his window, there's 185,000 men in battle gear in the field outside. And they still can't go out the gate. And they still can't go get the crops. And they still can't go gather water. And they still can't go do all those things. They're still there. Every day he looks out his window. Verse 8, it says, Then the Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, and he heard that he had departed from Lachish. And the king heard concerning 
Tirhaka, the, the king of Ethiopia, look, he has come out to make war with you. So he again sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying, Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. So what happened, happened. They heard of another rumor, another place. The king of Assyria had to turn and deal with that for a while. But even though he had to turn and deal with that, he still sends a Rabshakeh back to give this word to Hezekiah. Look, just because we left for a minute, don't think we're not going to be right back. So he tells him, your God is not going to be able to save you. Verse 11, look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by utterly destroying them. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of any of the other nations delivered them whom my fathers have destroyed? Gozan, Haran, uh, Reseph, the people of Eden, um, who were in Talasar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of the Servaim, Hena and Iba? Uh, Hezekiah received a letter from the hands of the messengers and read it. And then Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. So Hezekiah was, has been encouraged by the word that Isaiah gave. And he saw the army leave for a moment. But now he's got a letter. They're coming back. They're coming back. They're going to do all these things to him. And nothing's going to stop him. And no God can save you. Where did Hezekiah take it? Where do you take the bad news you get? Well, let's say, oh, I don't know, somebody at work does something wrong to you, something dirty. Let's say somebody um, somewhere else uh, is giving you grief. Somewhere in your life, you got trouble. Where do you go with your trouble? What's your first move? To the phone? Call a friend? Call your mom, call your dad, brother, sister, friend, somebody. Hezekiah's first move was to go into the house of the Lord and lift it up to him. To spread the letter out. To spread out the accusations. To spread out the stuff. To spread out the junk. Here, this is what's being said. And I'm not really sure what to do about it. There's really not much Hezekiah can do. He don't have an army that can fight with him. He can't muster anything to do battle with the, the king of all the world at that time. So he goes into the house of the Lord and he spreads it before the Lord. Listen to this. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. When we were talking about prayer a couple of weeks ago, I told you one of the important aspects of prayer is to know who you're praying to. And we all think that's simple. Well, of course I know who I'm praying. Praying to God. Well, who's God? Do you take the time when you go into the presence of God to consider the God you're talking to? Or are you more focused with the issue? And so your emphasis is on the issue and less on God. 
Because knowing who we're talking to is kind of important, right? And understanding who we're... Are we, are we talking to the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the king over every kingdom on the earth? Because that's who Hezekiah is addressing. And as Hezekiah is addressing that, he's, he's reminding himself. He's preparing his heart. He's understanding that God is in control, that the Lord knows what he's doing. And, and i got to tell myself that. Otherwise, I start believing what I see out my window. Look, one day, like the song we sang, the heavens are going to part. And Jesus is going to come home. And you're going to see his face. The Bible says you'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye. That your corruptible body will put on incorruption. That you'll be perfected. That your personal battle with sin, pain, whatever, will be done away with. And that you will have your moment face to face with the God of the universe. Some of you have been asking for that. I don't know. I don't know it, the purpose, you know. If you, if you want to see him because you love him, that's good. If you want to see him because you need to give him a piece of your mind, I'm not sure how well that's going to work out. But we're going to see him. Now, I want you to think about this. We're going to see him. And then forever, you're going to be in his presence. Forever. Now, what problem was so big again? What issue was so insurmountable? Paul said, I do not consider this present suffering worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. There's no comparison for what we're waiting for unless you have a hard time believing that. In which case, what's the issue? You have the thief of unbelief in your life. And if the thief of unbelief is in your life, he's going to rob you. What's he going to take from you? He's just going to take your faith. He's going to take your joy. He's going to take your happiness. He's going to take all those things will be missing. And you'll say, where's all this stuff? I'm living the Christian life. And where's all that joy? And where's that life abundantly that God talks about? And where's all this stuff? But we're walking around. Well, Paul said like this, we will be of all men most pitiable. When we're in that state, a believer who has put their faith in the Lord but has lost their belief. And then we, we struggle. Well, we got, we got to understand those, those things that God's called him to. Hezekiah knew who God was. He knew who God was when he came to the Lord in prayer. He took the time to express who the Lord is. Are you praying to the God who doesn't answer prayer? Because a lot of people do that. That's the God they're addressing. The God who won't move. The God who won't answer. The God who's not going to hear me. And you know what? You'll be right. Well, that's not the God of the universe, though. That's not the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a God you've made in your own image. Taking the time to address Lord God Almighty, who are we talking to? The one who dwells between the cherubim. You understand what that means? The one who dwells between the cherubim? That's the one who's sitting on the mercy seat. 
Remember the two cherubim? Where were there two cherubim? The children of Israel ever saw two cherubim. Where were they? They're on the Ark of the Covenant, right? They're on each side of the Ark of the Covenant, bent over their wings, tips, touching one another. What was that place between the two cherubim called? It was called the mercy seat, where they did what? Sprinkled the blood of the sacrifice, right? Well, you're the God that dwells between the cherubim. That blood-stained spot in the temple. You're that God. What was that all picturing? The sacrifice of Jesus Christ, right? That washes away our sin. That empowers us. That, that changes us. That makes us a new creation created in Christ Jesus. All those things. We want to know who are we talking to? What God are we speaking to? And he says in verse 16, Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of Shennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Listen to what he's saying about you. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations and their lands, and they've cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord, our God, what happened? Well, you remember what it was when he sent the letter to Isaiah? How did he address him? The Lord, your God, thy God. Now it's, O Lord, our God. Isn't that how our life really is? I mean, if we're honest, we have battles within ourselves that take place. And if we're going to come out of those battles that take place, we don't just sit around and watch another couple of episodes of Friends on TV so we can laugh a little. And we don't just talk to somebody on the phone so we can vent what's going on to release the pressure that's in our life. And, and we don't just take a vacation so we can go do some fishing and let go of all that stuff and then we can come back to the grind. If you want to abolish the thief of unbelief, then you only can do it one way. By being filled with the Holy Spirit. By praying. And if the Lord would lead you to it, fasting. They kind of go together, right? Prayer and, prayer and fasting. That's the sound system. It's frying. In a moment, it'll be a real loud one, and then it'll turn off. <clears throat> but it's okay. We, we'll keep going. We want to abolish the thief of unbelief. We want to keep him from having a foothold in our life. Well, this is how we do it. In his prayer, we see his heart change. O Lord, our God. He says, therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us from his hand. That all the kingdoms of the earth may know you are the Lord God, you alone. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me against Shennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard it. Uh, it's kind of interesting to me. <laughs> I just prayed. And there's a letter from Isaiah. You ever had stuff like that happen? But I just now prayed. And there it is. I'm already receiving this letter from Isaiah, this word from the Lord, which was spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high? Against the Holy One of Israel. 
This is the Lord's response to Shennacherib's letter. I'm going to wipe you out. We're going to take you down. No God can save you. By your messengers, you have reproached the Lord and said, By the multitude of my chariots, I have come up to the height of the mountains, to the limits of Lebanon. I will cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypress trees. I will enter the extremity of its borders to its fruitful forests. I have dug and drunk strange water, and with the soles of my feet I have dried up all the brooks of defense. He's, he's, he's making a poetic picture of the boats of Shennacherib, the boasts that they had, the things that they said they would, they would be able to do against Israel. He's, he's using poetic language to describe it. And he goes on in verse 25. Did you not hear long ago how I made it? All the water you're going to sop up, all the brooks you're going to stop from flowing. Did you hear, I'm the one who made those things. From ancient times I formed it. Now I have brought it to pass that you should be for crushing fortified cities into heaps of ruins. God says, the only reason you're having victory, the only reason you're empowered is because I have called you to power. He has a similar talk with a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. You guys ever heard of him? Nebuchadnezzar, he's the next kingdom. See, right now, the guys that they went back and did battle with, that's Babylon. Babylon and Assyria were banging heads. They were the two bullies on the block at the time. Now, as a result of what's going to happen tonight, um, we're going to see the beginning of the decline of Assyria and the rise of Babylon. The rise of Babylon. When we look at the kingdoms of the ancient world, prophetically, it's interesting because in the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation tells in around chapter 17 or 18, it says the five heads represent five kings. Five kings uh, who have come, one who is, will fall and be again. And when you look at those kingdoms, who are they again? Egypt, Syria, Babylon, Medo-Persian, and the Greek. And at the time Revelation was written, who was? Rome. What happened to Rome? They declined. And what's the Bible say will happen later on? They're going to come back. So, those five kingdoms, every one of those kingdoms were called of God. Daniel saw incredible visions of, of those kingdoms. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar one day went out of his back door and said, Look at the kingdom I have built. And Daniel came to him and said, King Nebuchadnezzar, live forever. But brother, you got a lot of pride. This is a paraphrase. You got a lot of pride. You, got, you really think you've done a lot. And listen, God, God wants you to know he's given you this kingdom. Oh, <laughs> Daniel, that's okay for you. But I know this is a kingdom I have built. Oh, king, live forever. If if you continue down this road, the Lord is saying that he's going to show you that he is the God who is in control of all things. So Nebuchadnezzar was good for a while. But one day he went out his back door and he said, Man, look at this place. Wow, I have done an amazing job. And right then he went crazy. Seven seasons. Some people think that's seven years. Could be three and a half years. Could be 
right? It doesn't really make any difference. Let's say, for example, tomorrow, President Obama went crazy. Let's say he went crazy. Er, totally crazy. <laughs> Different kind of crazy, whatever. <clears throat> and he started to eat the grass in front of the White House. That's what he ate. He walked around on his hands and knees and ate the grass. He didn't cut his hair or his nails, so they grew long like claws and his hair like feathers. And he wandered around for the next seven years eating the grass. And how long would he be president? Well, see, it's how his term was, should have only been four, but there's going to be eight. So, so, well, we can't imagine a president staying in office who was doing that, right? Vice president surely would take over. Well, that's what happened with Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar went crazy for seven years. And God held the kingdom together. And when he came back into his mind seven years later, God said to Nebuchadnezzar, this is the kingdom I've given you. I'm holding it together. I brought it together. I made it. And Nebuchadnezzar writes a chapter in the book of Daniel about the majesty of God that he came face to face with as a result of being humbled. Same thing's happening with Shennacherib in 2 Kings. Isaiah is giving him uh, a word from the Lord, and the Lord is saying, Hey, guy, this, all the stuff you're experiencing, all the victory you have, I give that to you. I'm using you as a tool of judgment against my people, but it's not because of your greatness. It's not because of your greatness. So he goes on to tell them in verse 26, Therefore their inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were like the grass of the field and the green herb as the grass of the rooftops and the grain blighted before it's grown. God says, ah, I made them weak so that you could take them. Verse 27, but I know your dwelling place. You're going out and you're coming in and you're rage against me. He's saying, I know your, your dwelling place. The poetic language he's talking about is I know your beginning and your end. You're going out and you're coming in. I know how you came to power and when you're going to be out of power. All of these things. I know your rage, your hatred against me. Because your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you come. And this will be a sign to you. You shall eat this year such as grows of itself. And in the second year... What springs from the same? And also the third year, sow and reap. Plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. And the remnant who have escaped from the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem there will be a remnant, and those who escape from Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, will do this. So God says, here's the sign. You're, you're going to eat now. You're going to eat then. You're going to have this period of time, but judgment day is coming. Judgment day is coming, but my people will still be here when it's all said and done. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city. Now he's outside with 185,000. 
He will not come into the city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with a shield. He will not build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, the same way he will return. And he shall not come into the city, says the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. So God says, you don't get in. You're not going to get in. You're not going to shoot an arrow over the wall. You're not going to stand in front of us with a shield. You're not going to do any of it. The Lord gave his word. Do you believe the promises of God more than your circumstances? Because Hezekiah is going to walk out of the house of the Lord with this letter. And look, 185,000 guys. He don't even have 2,000 he can put on horses. It's not looking so good. God said he's going to defend it. I don't, he don't have nobody to send out there. He don't have anything he can do. He's just kind of sitting there like a lame duck with his army outside. And, and the king saying he's going to wipe them all out. But God says, do you believe the promise of God more than your circumstance? Or is your circumstance so big and your God so small that he will not keep his promise to you? Do you believe the promises of God more than your circumstance? Do you believe God loves you? I didn't used to. I was pretty sure God hated me. Do you believe God's going to keep his promise? He said, if I go, I will come again to bring you unto myself that where I am there you will be also. Do you believe that? that really going to happen or is it just something to give us hope all hezekiah had when he left the house of the lord was a promise that's it you and i we got the rest of the verses we're going to see in a couple minutes how the story ends but our story is not ending yet and your shenekarib is still outside yelling and when you leave tonight he's still going to be there and he, your Shenekarib, whether it's somebody that you work with, your Shenekarib, somebody that you live next to, your Shenekarib, uh, an ex, your Shenekarib, whatever, it doesn't matter. All of us have something. Maybe your Shenekarib is cancer. And he's going to be shouting, huh, Keith? He's going to be shouting over the walls. I got you. You don't got nothing. You don't got nothing but words. You believe the promise of God. You believe the promise of God more than the circumstance. Because if you're struggling with unbelief, then you need to deal with that thief. He'll rob you of your faith. He'll rob you of your prayers. He'll rob you of your effectiveness. He'll rob you of your ability to be who God's calling you to be. He'll rob you of your joy. He'll rob you of any happiness in your life. And he will not be satisfied until you are more miserable than you can imagine humanly possible. Do you believe the promise of God? I'll, I'm going to take Shenekarib out. Okay. Do you believe that God is going to destroy the last enemy of man? Do you know who that is? 
death. Do you believe that's going to happen? Or when death gets us, that's, that's it. The last great opportunity for victory is over. God couldn't save me. Because the Lord says, through Paul, again, death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin. The fact that there would be two deaths and a separation from God, but all death is now is my birthday in heaven. You believe that? All death is now is my birthday in heaven. It's not God's great loss. It's God's great victory that he got you home. Um, We're looking at it from a different perspective, huh? But we don't see that victory. We see that as the great defeat. The great destruction. Well, it says in verse 35, And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed the camp of the Assyrians, 185,000. When the people got up in the morning, there were the corpse all dead. 185,000 verses 1. How'd that work out for them? One angel. Bible doesn't say he worked up a sweat or even that there was much of a fight. Uh, that's probably low numbers compared to the death of the firstborn when the angel flew through Egypt. Well, you remember the story, right? Passover. God said, I'm going to take care of him. He's not going to fire an arrow. He's not going to walk in. He's not going to have any victory. And God takes him out. Listen, when we pray, one of three things will always happen. When we pray, one of three things will always happen. God will change you. God will change your circumstance. Or God will change both. There is not a prayer. He won't answer. There is not an issue he cannot deliver you through or from. Do you believe the promises of God more than your circumstances? If we do, if we recognize those things in our life, we may not experience a victory so sounding. Maybe we will. But you'll definitely have the return of joy. You'll definitely have a change of attitude. If you know whatever problems you got going on, that Jesus was going to be here tomorrow at 11 o'clock, would it be all that big a problem? He's going to come. He's going to come. He wants us to wait, to look, earnestly expecting. Verse 36, what happened? So Shennacherib, the king of Assyria, left. He went home. Which way did he go? Oh, the same way he came. Isn't that what God said? You're going to go home. And look what happens in verse 37. It came to pass, as he was worshiping in the temple of Nisroch. Now, this is a little while later. As he, were, as he was worshiping in the temple of Nisroch, that's his God, <clears throat> that his sons... Adremelech 
and Sherezer struck him down with the sword. And they escaped into the land of Ararat. And Esharadon, his son, reigned in his place. Oh, kind of sounds like Shennacherib's God wasn't able to save him. He went back just like God said. God delivered. God moved. God worked. Hezekiah sees revival. Hezekiah sees deliverance. Chapter 20. Hezekiah gets scared of the oldest enemy of mankind. Hezekiah gets scared by death. But he still prays. And God still hears. And he doesn't die. Don't tell anybody because we haven't got there. I don't know. God is still alive. He's not dead. He's still moving. He's still working. He's still establishing his kingdom on earth. He's still leading us in victory. And if if we don't see the things we're reading as what's a part of our life, the problem's not with God. The problem is probably inside of me. But God is willing to fix it. We just got to be willing to bring it to him. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for the opportunity to open your word, to study what you have for us tonight, God, to see your face. God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, as we just want to be able to understand the fact that, God, you move, that you do answer prayers, and that sometimes your word declares to us that that when a prayer is not answered, the problem's not that God doesn't want to answer our prayers. The Bible tells the problem is me. That I am asking for the wrong thing. That I am asking for the wrong reason. That I want to spend it on myself. God, you, you tell us more than one time on the pages of Scripture, whatsoever you ask in my name, Believe that you have received it, and you have it. Well, it's not so that we can control you, God. We know that. That's not what it is. It's it's just being in agreement with you, in alignment with your will, agreement with your word. We see, God, you directing us. Your word declares that if I delight myself... In the law of the Lord, he gives me the desires of my heart. God, if there's something that we miss, something that we don't quite grasp, that we don't, we're not experiencing, God, if I'm struggling in my, in my faith, or if I'm struggling with unbelief, Lord, I need you more, not more of some other thing. I need more of you. I need your spirit living within me, empowering me. I need to be filled, not just to have a little bit of the Spirit added to my life. I need the hose of the Holy Spirit stuck in the glass of my life and the hose on.
I need you flowing through me. I need to be a man of prayer because Jesus said, if I don't want to lose heart, I got to pray. I got to pray. I got to be a man of prayer, willing to seek your face, willing to spend time in your presence, willing to take the time to consider who am I praying to? Where does he dwell? What will he do? What has he done? God, I pray that if our flesh is too big, you lead us to the fast. That we might pull back that desires of our flesh and allow the spirit to be strong and move forward. God, I pray that you would lead we, your people, into a deeper relationship with you. A desire, God, to see you move in ways maybe we haven't seen in a long time. Maybe we've never seen. God, you're calling us to be open, be prepared, be willing to see you move. To do whatever you want us to do, Lord God, that we might bring honor and glory to you. Lord, I just pray. We've seen the beginning of an awakening. We've seen the beginning of a revival. We've seen the beginning of hearts and minds turned toward the Lord. But we need to go deeper. We need to go further. And we need to make a choice to stop making excuses for why we can't. And just start making the space. Making the space in our life for God to move. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in this place, God, and that your spirit would move in our hearts. Lead us, direct us that we might receive what you have for us. Be glorified in this place as we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.